Good evening, church. My name is Brendan, and I'll be doing the Bible reading today. Um, Bible reading, Romans 8, verse 1 to 11. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the will of the Lord. Good evening, church. Um, It is such a joy to uh, be together uh, with uh, God's people and to share God's word. It's a a privilege for me to to do that. Um, Earlier on, I thought the rapture had happened because everyone was not here. So it's good to see you guys. It's good good to be um, together and to be encouraged. As Lauren said, we have conquered January. Put your hands together for yourself. (laughs) Um, so this is the month of love. Um, <laughs> but not only that, um, it is a month to start a new series. And, and we're starting a new series uh, in Romans chapter 8, which is titled uh, The Empowered Life. Uh, we're looking at um, who God is, and this is really a, a section that deals with assurance. It deals with anchoring us in the love of God, uh, so it is about love, uh, in the power of God at work in the life of those who believe. Um, and if you don't believe, you came in, perhaps you would come to hear what it means to uh, please God. So it anchors us on the love of God, the power of God, and the work of God um, in, in our lives. So that's what Romans uh, chapter 8 is, and it's going to um, encourage us wherever we may uh, find ourselves as we hear uh, what uh, it means to live the empowered, empowered life. One of the things that we believe at Christchurch Midland uh, is that we believe in the authority of Scripture, so not hearing what David has to say, but what God has to say. And one of the things uh, w- that happens when you deal with a certain section 
of uh, the Bible, like chapter 8 of Romans, is that sometimes we forget that it's part of the whole of Romans. Uh, so we want to remember that what is happening here in chapter 8 is actually what Paul has been developing. Um, if you're new to uh, the Bible, Paul is one of the most influential writers of uh, the New Testament. He wrote so many epistles, letters. One of them was this one to the church in Rome. Uh, and so as he was writing Paul, uh, he was trying to show them something. He was trying to call them to what God is doing, the mission of God, uh, wherever they found themselves uh, in Rome. He was writing within a context of uh, strife, within a context uh, where Christians were grappling with issues. Uh, so whatever he says is actually part of a whole. So let me get you up to speed if you haven't been with us. Last year we picked up uh, Romans, and one of the things that we said as we summarized it, now this is not a a perfect summary, uh, but I think it covers most of the themes uh, that comes up uh, throughout the letter. One of the things that we said about Romans is that in Romans we discover that God is gathering a new humanity, a new people that comprises of both Jews and Gentiles under King Jesus. Why does he gather them? Uh, he gathers them uh, so that they could be empowered by the Spirit uh, to be agents of change in the broken world. So God gathers his people, Jews and Gentiles, under one king, empowers them by the Spirit to be agents of change uh, in the places where he's placed them. Uh, so this section deals with this part of God empowering them with the Spirit. Uh, he empowers them for something. He empowers them uh, for greater things. So God gathers, God empowers and God partners with us uh, to be agents of change in a world that is created. Now, as you think about the world that you live in, um, what are some of the places where you see brokenness? What are some of the places where you look at and you're like, it seems like something is just not right here. God has placed you in that world. If you're a Christian... Uh, to be empowered by the Spirit uh, to live out uh, his gospel uh, in that place uh, he has placed you. So if we were to summarize chapter 8, uh, we would say the God who gathers is the God who empowers. The God who gathers is the God who empowers. And one of the things, again, that you see is that Paul wants these Christians to be reassured. So listen to verse 1 and how it starts, and then I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 8. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. After all that is argued, therefore now there is no condemnation. The last section goes on. He empowers the Christians. He makes them to remember who they are. Verse 37, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things uh, to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor death, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He's assuring them and reminding them of something of the gospel message. Why would he do that? Well, perhaps uh, they were going through things uh, that made them not believe uh, that God loved them, or that something could ever separate them uh, from this love. And I think any time where there's a gap between 
what we believe about God and our reality. Anytime when our reality seems more real than what God says to us, it is a moment and opportunity uh, for us to respond in grace. It's a moment of growth. Uh, It's a moment to apply the gospel in that area. So all that to say, Romans is going to reassure us um, about our Christian faith. And I don't know where you may find yourself in, um, in your Christian walk, but perhaps this message and this section is for you, to remind you of the gospel, um, to remind you that you live out the gospel in a broken world, and this gap between what is real and your brokenness and the gospel, this gap is called Christian growth. Uh, We need to grow more and more um, that these gaps um, become closer, that the reality of the gospel becomes our reality. Amen. I'm going to pray for us as we get into our message this evening, as we look at those first 11 uh, verses of our section. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you so much for another opportunity to sit in and listen to what Paul says, uh, not anything that David has to say. And so I do pray that you'd bring to life what uh, Paul is saying here, but not just for the sake of us knowing more, uh, but for the sake of us working more in your will. So I pray that in any area of our lives where our reality seems to overpower what you say, uh, that you would empower us um, to trust what you have to say. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I'm going to start off with um, our discussion, and I had uh, some great discussion around that topic of what it means to belong, uh, what it means uh, to belong. I want to talk about that this evening because I think that's where our passage anchors, um, anchors us. You may be saying, well, I think it's about the Spirit, and I would say, yes, it is. It is. In fact, 21 times in this section alone, the word Spirit is mentioned, and 90% of the time, it is referring to the Holy Spirit at, at work in the life of the believer. So it is about the spirit, but it is about Christians being assured that God is at work in them. Uh, So it is about assurance and an assurance that we belong. And I think all of us, we are made to belong, aren't we? We see it in the relationships that we keep. Um, You see it in the life of young children, one of the hardest things that could happen to a young child, I have a five-year-old, is that my friends don't like me. Um, I don't belong. I go to the playground, and there seems to be a gang of guys that I can't break into. And I watch the physical um, dynamics of relationship happening uh, when people are circled around, and you can't, you kind of want your way in that circle. Um, we want to be part of that. We don't want to be isolated. We want to belong. And it doesn't end on the children's playground, does it? Um, it goes on to our adult life as we do things to fit in into certain groups, thing, things that sometimes are not really part of who we are. We do those things so that we can fit in and belong. Why is that? Well, it's because all of us are made to belong. Something hardwired in us longs uh, to belong. Uh, because God made us that way. 
Now, our culture also speaks about belonging. Brene Brown is the prophetess of our culture. I don't know if you've read any of her stuff. How many of us know who Brene Brown is? She is, if you just Google her, you'll see a famous TED Talk. It has about million, uh, millions of views. And she speaks a lot about vulnerability and belonging. And this is what uh, she says about belonging. And I want us to, to just pay attention to what our culture says about belonging. What do I need to do to belong? What does true belonging look like? She says true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. What is Brene Brown saying there? I, I don't, I'm not saying I agree with her. Uh, she just says what our culture says, that for you to belong, you have to fit in and people have to accept you uh, for who you are. Um, in fact, somebody said this evening that true belonging is like belonging to a family where you are accepted um, for, for who you are. So that is often what our culture uh, says or thinks when, it think, when we think about belonging. Um, she goes on to say, uh, contrasting belonging with fitting in. She says, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. How many of us have done that? Uh, belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who you are. Our culture is obsessed with this idea of being who you are uh, and presenting uh, that picture uh, to the world. Now, on one side, I agree with her. On another side, I don't agree with her. And we're going to see how uh, the gospel engages with this idea of belonging, um, engages with, with this idea of either trying to fit in by doing certain things or truly, truly belonging. Um, I think um, Romans will unpack that for us uh, in just a moment. But just to share my own story of belonging, I was telling Black this um, coming week because it hit me emotionally as I thought about this. But for me, and I don't want to speak bad about my father's side of the family, um, but <laughs> my reality is when I think about belonging, I think for the longest time, that is one place where I never felt like I belonged. Um, it was, so just for context, my parents were never married, so I took on my mom's surname, which is kind of a shame growing up in African culture, right? You bear your mom's surname. Like, who are you? Well, I'm a Kobedi. But not really. I don't belong there because they're not my people, but my people are not accepting me. Uh, so two things for me that are a measure of belonging is that I once stayed in my father's house, but I never felt like I could open the fridge and be free to do so. There was never a law that said you can't open the fridge, but nothing in me felt like I can go open the In my mother's house, I can open the fridge, chow the, the French baloney um, with my bare teeth. I don't do that. But I have the confidence and freedom to do that, but not in my father's house. I felt like I was there. I kind of belonged, but I truly didn't. The one time it was my sister's wedding, and a time came for the Piri family. That's my father's surname. I would have been David Piri. Does that have a ring to it? Not really. I love David Covid more. Um, so come, there comes a moment to take a family picture. 
and they call. Hey, it's a Piri family picture. And it's awkward. I'm standing there with my wife, and the Piris are going. I know that I belong, because by blood, I belong to them, but I don't really belong. Um, Because I'm standing there, not confident to walk and take that picture, because I'm a Piri. That is what belonging for me felt like. I just... I fit in, but I don't really fit in. I don't have the confidence to say I'm a child here. Now come with me to verse 12, of rather verse 9 of chapter 8. As Paul speaks to these Christians uh, who were a mixture of Jews, Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians. What had happened in this church is that the the Jewish people, the people of God, the ones who belonged to the covenant, um, they, some of them became Christians, some of them accepted Jesus as their Messiah, uh, but the emperor at that stage chucked them out of Rome, uh, so they left, and they left the church uh, and a group of believers who were just non-Jew. Okay, so you can imagine you start off with a group of people, and then they are chucked out of your town, um, and then you start doing church in a Gentile way. You start being the people of God in a gentile way. Now it happens that the decree for them to, for the Jews to be chucked out was um, recalled and they were given an opportunity to come back to Rome. And as they came back to church, they were like, what in the world is this? Because for you to become the people of God, for you to be truly, uh, to truly belong, you need to do certain things. Uh, you need to be, first you need to be circumcised, uh, to identify with the nation of Israel. That is what it means to be uh, an Israelite. Uh, and circumcision was a picture of obedience to the law of God. Uh, so you truly belonged if you obeyed. Now, a lot of the Gentiles did not follow the law to the T. And Paul wants them to realize that it takes more than just that to belong. Have a look at verse 9, and listen to the language of belonging. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is live because of righteousness, Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. You Gentile Christian belong, and the spirit of God himself is at work in your life. And we're going to unpack that whole contrast between the spirit, um, the spirit dwelling in people, sin, death. What is Paul on about Um, And we're going to look at our section in three points. Number one, I'm going to say what I've already said. (laughs) This section is about belonging. I want to show you from the rest of uh, chapter 8. Second point, what does it mean to belong? So it's about belonging, but what does it mean to belong? And why is it important to belong? Okay, so about belonging, what does it mean to belong? Why is it important to belong. Are you with me? Last week we had Madala preaching. Madala is amazing, isn't he? 
One of the things Matala used to do when he preaches is that he has a side road. Okay, so side road is a section of the sermon where you discuss other matters, any other business that is kind of related to the sermon, but is not really related to the floor of the sermon. So we're going to have, I, I don't want a side road. Um, I'm going to call this moment, uh, I have an axe to grind, or let's call it a moment of qual. Okay, if you know what qual is, um, you, you know, if you don't know, <laughs> forget about it. It's, it's a time to, uh, to, for me to grind the eggs. I, want, I have an eggs to grind. And I think it's, as I look at culture, as I read scripture, as I read books about scripture, um, I realize that our culture is very individualistic. Da, it is, right? It's me-focused. It's me-centered. Um, and very often, even when you hear a sermon about belonging, and I shared a personal story, so we tend to think about it in personal ways, right? We tend to think about me, me, me at the center of it all. Whereas the, the, the culture that the Bible is written in is not an individualistic culture, okay? Many of us want God to be about us. So we approach scripture with that kind of mindset, but God is about God, and that is good for us. What do I mean by that? When we come to Scripture, uh, we think about the, the idea of God the Father. Many of us, like myself, have father issues. And previously, even in the sermons that we preach, we kind of have a, a therapy session around God the Father. We kind of have a soothing session about this God of the Bible. Oh, he loves you, and that's going to help your father issues. Right? We tend to put the weight on personal, psychological issues. These people that Paul is writing to don't think like that. When you think, when you think about the God who sends people, God the Father, think of him like an African father, like, you know, the one from the village. Do not think of him like a father in Midrand. Are you guys following me? Children in Midrand, my own child, it seems like father, the father exists to serve the children, which is good in many ways and bad in some ways, uh, because children are all about, it's all about them, uh, whereas the fathers in the village and the fathers in the Bible, it was a patriotic environment. To talk about a father, it was about the father. It was about the will of the father. It was about the father sending you. Um, and yes, there was abuse in many ways. But that's kind of the concept that we see when we read the Bible. So in other words, let's not be obsessed about our, our, our personal issues. In fact, when we, uh, when we realize that God is about God, the more and more those issues diminish. And we want to find out more what is God up to rather than how does God save me? Amen. Perhaps sometimes we struggle, and it's about my struggle against sin. And perhaps we struggle because we are isolated people. Uh, we think of God in personal, private ways. But the God of the Bible, when the Romans read this, it wasn't, they didn't have a personal Bible to go read and say, what is God saying to me today? 
It was about what is the mission of God and how can I fit myself into that mission. And the more we do that, the more all those things are going to unravel. The more we're going to see God as big and we will become small. And I'm not making smaller issues. As you heard, I have issues. Um, Perhaps we do need to go see psychologists, but this is not a therapy session. God is about God. And when we are about what God is about, uh, then those issues um, diminished. Amen. Um, so that was my ex to grind, uh, that God is for God. Let's go into our first um, point, which is that this section is about belonging. And for that, please open your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 8. I just want to run us through uh, chapter 8 so that you see this language of belonging, uh, this language of belonging to what God is doing, the mission of God in the church. Chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, uses the word in Christ, belonging in Christ. Verse 9 that we read, um, Paul says to these Christians uh, that those who do not have the Spirit do not belong, um, implying that those who have the Spirit belong. Verse 15 uses the language of the Exodus, the language of slavery, and he says uh, to them, have a look at it, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. God is your father if you have trusted in Jesus. That is the language of belonging. And then he goes on to say that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, he talks about Christians being heirs, uh, co-heirs, as is someone who inherits and who benefits from being part of the family. In the family's mission, in the fact that they can open the fridge and say, this is this is my home. I belong. Have a look at verse 19. For creation awaits the eager longing of the revealing of the sons of God. The language of sonship is the language of belonging. It's the language of being part of God's people. And we're going to see how that works itself out in the Bible. Verse 23 speaks about adoptions as sons. Verse 29, it talks about Jesus being the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, meaning that we are, Jesus is our brother. We belong to the same family. Again, the idea of sonship. Uh, verse 32 says he will graciously, if he didn't spare his son, how much more will he graciously give us all things? It's the language of benefiting. I belong and benefit from God. Verse 35, and that is not a selfish, self-centered thing. Verse 35, the most powerful Verse, who shall separate us from the love of, uh, of God in Christ? A language of being loved and being, com- God is committed to us. Verse 37 and verse 39 also continue the theme of the love of God. So this language is the language of belonging, but Paul wants these Christians to be assured that you truly, truly belong, especially in the early church, especially because they were Gentile Christians, um, especially because there were people who said to them that, yeah, you, you're part of this family, but you're not. You need to do one, two, three, so that you can belong. 
Paul has been arguing throughout that both Gentiles and Jews, both of them don't act like children of God. Both of, both of them do not obey the law. Both of them need to be made children of God. All of them need the same thing. All of them need to belong. So this section is about belonging. But what does belonging look like? Have a look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Belonging is about condemnation being taken away. What is condemnation? Condemnation means you are outside. Condemnation means you have not behaved as a child. Uh, Condemnation means we chuck you out of the family. Why are we chucking you out? Because you have not lived up to the standard. Paul says now there is no condemnation. What has happened now? Well, now God has done something in Jesus Christ uh, to bring us who are outside into his family. That is what it means to belong. Go with me to chapter 5, verse 12 to 21 quickly. And notice this language of condemnation. Chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of one who was to come, Verse 15, but the free grace, free, free gift is not like the trespass. For if, by, if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by, by grace of that one man, Christ Jesus, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift of God following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, if you're missing what Paul is saying, verse 17 um, highlights, highlights that for us. For if because of one man's transgression, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's obedience, the many were made sinners, disobedience rather, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace all the more, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of my most least favorite um, subjects at Bible College was Romans, <laughs> because Paul says so many packed things in just one section, and there's no time for us to unpack that. But basically, what he's saying is that through one man, one representative, Adam, 
who was meant to live a perfect life, a life of belonging to God, a life of living under the law of God, a life of obedience like a child. That one man sinned, and because of his sin, a sin came into our world. Uh, because of his sin, death reigned in, the, in our world. But God sent another Adam, uh, which is Christ Jesus. And what Christ Jesus does is available to make us children of God. I wonder if you follow. So one man sins, affects the many. One man obeys, it affects the many. The point of it is that for you to belong, you need to be trusting in somebody else's work. You need to be trusting in what Christ has done. Why is that? Because the law, Paul says, the law that that is meant to show you what it means to live as a child of God. Nobody obeys that. Why is that? Well, because Adam, in Adam we see that the inclination of men is disobedience. And because of disobedience, we cannot function as children of God. God gave the Israelites the law so that they could obey him, but none of them kept it. Gentiles did not have the law, non-Jews, they also broke the law. So both of them cannot become children of God. They need something else, somebody else much powerful to make them children of God. Jesus has done that for them. Have a look at verse, verse 2 to 7. As Paul is contrasting this life under the law versus life under the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God, verse 3, God has done it. God is at work. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What is the law? Therefore, the law is to show us to be children of God. But the law can never make us obey it. The law was there to show us what it means to obey God. But the law was never powerful enough to make us obey God. Why is that? Because our inclination from Adam is to do bad. Our inclination is towards evil. But God has done something. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus comes in to live the life that we should have lived, a life of an obedient child, and dies a death that we deserve, a death of rebels. Why does he do that? So that we can belong. So as to bring us into a relationship uh, with, with God. Now this whole story is the story of the Bible. This whole story started in Adam, continued with Israel, sons of God, disobedient, and ended in Jesus was perfectly obedient. Listen to what Martin Luther says about somebody who lives under the law, who lives without the, uh, the Spirit of God. He says, a man who does not have the Spirit of God does not, to be sure, do evil unwillingly or by compulsion, as if they grab by the neck and forced to do it as a thief or a, a, a robber is dragged to to punishment against their will. He does evil spontaneously 
and with a ready will. Is that the experience of your life? That when you want to do good, it seems like, like you always tend to do what you're not supposed to do. You always don't match up to what God wants you to do. But he is, is unable by his own power to stop, check, or change this, this readiness or unwillingness to do evil. Rather, he goes on willingly and he craves evil. Just think about that. We crave to do evil. And even if he should be compelled by a force to do anything that is outwardly different, yet the world within remains averse to it and rears up indignation against the power that controls and constrains it. You see, the law in the power of sin is powerless because it cannot make us obedient. But the law of the empowered life, the Christian life, is empowered. The law of the what am I saying? The law under sin <laughs> is powerless, but the law under the spirit is brought to life. It brings us to life. It brings us as we read God's word. If you have the spirit of God, he makes us and he works with us to empower us to live out the Christian life. The law, just think about it as an overhead projector. How many of you know what an overhead projector is? Some of you were born after overhead projectors. Overhead projector is those things that you used to have in high school. Um, I used to have it. I went to a high school. We didn't have that. I went to a township school. Um, We had the chalkboard. (laughs) Um, I I, I saw overhead projectors. This was a a great revelation when I went to UJ. I remember BLS 100. Um, so those overheads you used to place a transparent uh, picture on top of it, and then a light will shine through and project what the overhead, what was on that paper. So it was meant to magnify what was here. I still remember our Stats 101 lecturer. He was nervous, and he kept on doing this to the page, and like the projector was going like this. But in order to say that what the law is, is like an overhead projector that shines through our own sinful life and says, you're a sinner. But it doesn't have the power to make us obedient. It doesn't have the power to make us behave like children of God. Have a look at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice the next verse says, but those who try harder do. It doesn't say that. It says you, however, belong to God. How do you belong? Because God has done something powerful in the Lord Jesus. Firstly, this whole section is about belonging. Secondly, what does it look like to belong where we just saw that? But why is it important to belong? Why is it important? And I think the verse that we read at the beginning is so powerful because it tells us to focus in, not on ourselves, but to look to God who empowers the Christian life. That as we look at our struggles and our battle against sin, we need to look to God and all that he's doing in and through his church. Let me look at 
Verse 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Remember, we're asking why is it important to belong? But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 11, (laughs) this is powerful. And I wonder if you were to believe it, what would happen to your life? I wonder what would happen if we walked out of here with this assurance. Have a look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's no greater truth in the gospel. And often there's a gap between what, what is said here, what has been said here, that the spirit who made you belong, the spirit that lives in you if you are a Christian, is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that. The power that raises a dead man to life lives in you. That is the reality. That is the gospel message. You are struggling with pornography. That's your reality. You're not behaving as a child of God. Yet the reality is that you belong. How much would happen if we believed verse 11? How much would happen if we believed that we truly belong, uh, that God, although we couldn't obey, God done something in Jesus, that the spirit of Jesus dwells in us. The same spirit that gave life to a dead human lives in us. Now, which is a more powerful reality? What is a more powerful reality for us this evening. I'm going to end it off by these words from Tim Keller. As he speaks about belonging and being loved and the power of the gospel, he says um, to be loved but known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. We belong. God takes us as we are. So, so Brene Brown is right in that. True belonging is being accepted for who you are. But God doesn't leave us as we are. He accepts us as we are, but never leaves us as we are. He empowers us by his spirit to be transformed people, to act more and more like children of God. That is the gospel. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, that we would have this assurance that it isn't all dependent on us. In fact, if it was, we would, we would have failed. In fact, because we, it was, because for many years we've tried uh, through pretense, uh, through trying to live a church life, um, through fitting in with Christians. We tried all of that, Lord, uh, but it failed. Help us remember that we are powerless uh, to obey your law. 
Help us remember that only through the Lord Jesus can we have a relationship with you. Help us remember that we are empowered by this spirit of Christ to live the Christian life. Help us as we step into this week, wherever this reality is not truth, wherever this reality is dimmed down by our own sin, that the light of your gospel will shine more and more. I pray for us who are Christians, I pray that we would be so blown away by by what you are doing and focus less on ourselves, uh, that we would see to be part of other Christians who belong to you, to know that our struggle against sin is not just our own struggle, but it affects the whole community, and that the whole community of empowered, spirit-filled people can help us in our work with you. So help us as we think about um, week, help us to think about how we plan our week, uh, that we prioritize meeting with other Christians in so many different forms. But Lord, please, as we walk into this week, help us know uh, how to live the empowered life. Help us know how to depend more and more on you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.